So, all right, so this morning we are going to start with a lesson from the first chapter of John. I'm going to be reading from John chapter 1, verses 35 through 39. It's going to talk about John. This is referring to John the Baptist. This is very early in the gospel story. The next day, John was standing again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus walking along, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard what he said, and they followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and saw them following, he asked, What are you looking for? They said, Rabbi, which is translated teacher, where are you staying? He replied, Come and see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they remained with him that day. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. Amen. So back at the beginning of this month, on September 1st, I actually began my 23rd year leading one of the six different year-long Bible studies we have here at Live Word called Disciple. This goes all the way back to the time before we even were living word here, when we were still Ellisville UMC, back in Ellisville. And because there were actually four different years in that time spread, where I actually taught two different classes in the same year, I began the 26th disciple class I've ever led. I can't believe how much time, that time, how quickly that time has gone by. And this is actually the ninth time that I've led the introductory disciple class, the class we call Disciple One. And each time that I've led that class in the, in the very first class, very first class, we talk about how to read the Bible. How to read the Bible. And it might seem like that's a strange thing to talk about, but it's actually possible to read the Bible in a lot of different ways. Because you can read the Bible as if it's this really long novel, kind of like Lord of the Rings on steroids or something. You can read it as if it's a history book. You can read it as if it's an anthropological account of this ancient people and civilization and all about their religious beliefs and their rituals. There are parts of it that you can read as an anthology of these beautiful poems and a detailed prediction of future events in part of it, kind of like Nostradamus or, or maybe even this very quaint collection of archaic laws and, and rituals and things that, that have no bearing on our lives today. And if you approach reading the Bible in any of those ways, you're pretty much going to find within its pages what you go in expecting to find. You really can read the Bible in those ways. But if, if you approach reading the Bible differently, if you approach reading the Bible as if God himself is speaking to you, actually speaking to you, personally, to you, through those words, if you read the Bible anticipating God speaking to you through it, if you're open to hearing things from God that might actually challenge the beliefs that you're already bringing with you, then what you find in the Bible is going to be a book that truly, truly has the power to transform your life. So the reason that I'm actually beginning this message today by talking about how we should read the Bible, is it was actually within that scripture lesson that I began with this morning. It was in that scripture lesson that I really think that for the very first time, 
I think that was the passage where I actually felt like I heard God speaking to me personally and directly. Now, that wasn't in a disciple class that I was leading. It was about two years before the first one of those that I did, but it was about halfway through the disciple one class that I was taking, in which I was a student. And for whatever reason, as I was reading those words that we heard earlier, when Jesus asks these two disciples of John the Baptist, he asks them, what are you looking for? I felt like I had kind of been jolted out of the story that I'd been reading. You know how, at least for me, sometimes when I'm reading, it's like I'll get several sentences ahead and realize I've actually been kind of, my brain's been wandering and I don't even know what I've been reading for the past couple of minutes. I don't know if I was in that kind of a daze or something in that moment or whatever, but when I read those words, I snapped to attention. And I read it again and again, and I'm telling you, it was like those words lifted right off the page, and I felt like Jesus was literally asking me, Greg, what are you looking for? What are you looking for? Now, I didn't hear, I didn't hear anything audible, nothing like that, but I had this very distinct impression that those words were meant for me personally. And I had to kind of stop reading and sit back and think about that question. And I kept hearing God saying to me, Greg, you're, you're here, you're taking this Bible study, you're taking this disciple class, you're reading the Bible like you're supposed to. But what are you looking for? What are you looking for? Now, in the, in the King James Version, if you have a different version of the Bible, you're, you're following along in it, says, Jesus asked, what do you seek? And in the NIV, the New International Version, it actually says Jesus asks them, what do you want? I don't think it really matters because ultimately it's, it's the same question. And something I noticed in that very first time as I was reading those words kind of again and again and reading that whole first part of John's gospel, and I noticed that these are the very first words that Jesus utters in the gospel of John. The very first words Jesus says, what are you looking for? What are you looking for? And it occurred to me that, well, maybe, right, maybe the reason those are the very first words Jesus utters in the gospel is because maybe that's the first question that Jesus asks anyone, anyone who's curious about him. What are you looking for? What are you seeking what do you want? So in the story, right, Jesus, he's just, it says he's just walking along. He's kind of minding his own business. And he happens to notice that these two guys who've been disciples of John the Baptist, they're following him. Now they're actually, it's like they're tailing him the way the story goes. And he just turns around and he asks them that simple question. What are you looking for? So in the story, did you notice this? In the story, Jesus asked that direct question. What are you looking for? But they don't answer Jesus' question. They don't. They kind of evade what that question might really be getting at for them. And so they just ask Jesus, well, where are you staying? But it's interesting when we go along just a first or two later, they, they haven't told Jesus, they haven't answered his question, what are you looking for? But the story does tell us, it tells us the reader what these guys were looking for. 
Okay, and, and in the verses that come right after this morning's scripture reading, it tells us, it says, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. And the first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is, the Christ. We found the Messiah. See, what Andrew and Simon Peter were looking for, like so many Jews in that time, what they were looking for was the Messiah. They were looking for this prophetic figure who was supposed to come and rule over Israel in a way that they hadn't experienced since the days of King David. That's what they were looking for. And Andrew didn't, again, he didn't tell Jesus this immediately, but what he was looking for was something, someone very specific. He was looking for the Messiah. And so when he went and found Peter, he told him, we found him. We found what we're looking for. And the story goes on. It tells us that the very next day, Jesus invited a different guy, a guy named Philip, to follow him too. And David talked a lot about Philip last week in his message. And the story says that Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, about whom the prophets also wrote. So Philip, Philip's also looking for something specific. He's looking for someone. He's looking for the fulfillment of these ancient promises that someday Israel will have a new great prophet. The book of Deuteronomy, Moses promised someday you'll have a prophet like me. So he's looking for a prophet like Moses, a savior for Israel. And he told Nathanael, we found him. We found what I'm looking for. And even John the Baptist, right? John the Baptist is the guy, the man who, whose disciple these people were. And he's looking for something even more specific. Someone in particular. God had told him, the scripture tells us, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. God had told him this. So John's looking for this man. He's watching for this to happen. He's looking for this visible sign that's going to identify someone who's going to be capable of immersing people, not just in the waters of the Jordan River like he's been doing, but immerse them in the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is exactly what he sees. He finds it. He sees this happen to Jesus. He tells his disciples, I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. Right, so Andrew, Andrew is looking, he's looking for the Messiah. Philip is looking for the fulfillment of these ancient promises of a prophet like Moses. John the Baptist is looking for someone filled with God's Holy Spirit who would then pour that Spirit out on the people around him. So we read this, and we know, we know what these earliest disciples of Jesus were looking for. And we can read John's gospel as a novel, as a story, as a history, and we can understand that. We can say, okay, they all had an answer, right? When Jesus asked, what are you looking for? It's right there. The narrator tells us in the story. But what about when we read, anticipating that God is speaking to us, to us individually, personally. What if John's gospel is more than a history or a story? 
What if through these words, Jesus is asking each one of us, what are you looking for? What are you seeking here? What do you really want from me? Well, you know, if Jesus is asking us that question, and I would maintain that he is, maybe we should take notice here in this story of of how Jesus went on after that to interact with these people after he asked them that very first question. Because maybe, maybe that'll tell us something about how Jesus really goes about bringing us, bringing people in general alongside him and alongside his mission. And what you're going to find is if you can read it with those eyes, you're going to see Jesus didn't launch into some full-blown theological dissertation about who he was about how exactly he was the absolute fulfillment of their expectations of a Messiah or of a prophet or of a spirit bearer. He didn't, you know, he didn't grab, he didn't pull out a copy of his Torah and point out to them exactly which Old Testament passages are talking about him, which ones you can use to prove that he is the Messiah and not some, the latest pretender. He didn't get into some long discussion about the problem of evil, about what exactly does or does not constitute sin, about whether the universe was created in seven literal days, or why the Bible doesn't talk about dinosaurs. He didn't do any of that. What he does do is extend a simple invitation. Just a simple invitation. Come and see. Come and see. I know you're looking for something. Everybody's looking for something. But just come and see. Come and see if there's a chance that I, Jesus says, that I might be what you're looking for. And Jesus invites them to join him on this, this journey. He invites them into a relationship through which they're going to be able to figure out for themselves that Jesus really is what they've been looking for all along, even if what they've been looking for is far more limited than what they're eventually going to find in the fullness of who Jesus is. And it's that, that invitation, that invitation alone, that invitation, just come and see, come and see, that's enough to get Andrew and then Philip to just come along for the ride. And Philip, you know, we didn't, I didn't read this part of the gospel before, but when you read that, Philip is such a quick study under Jesus, learning to do the things Jesus does, that when his friend Nathaniel, that he goes and invites, when Nathaniel expresses skepticism about whether Jesus could really be who Philip seems so convinced that he is. And when that's how Nathaniel responds, Philip is such a quick study under Jesus, he just echoes Jesus. And he says, Nathaniel, Nathaniel, just come and see. Just come and see. And folks, see, Nathaniel, he actually had good reason. He had reason to be skeptical about Jesus being the Messiah because Jesus is from Nazareth. And in his words out of Scripture, nothing good ever came 
from Nazareth. He's saying, not interested. Not interested. But notice what Philip did. Philip, right, he didn't have to go into some big scriptural exposition about how, well, okay, Nathaniel, you're right. The Old Testament doesn't say anything about connecting the Messiah with Nazareth, so I get why you're skeptical, right? He doesn't say, but it doesn't say he can't be from Nazareth. He doesn't go into all that. He just says, Nathaniel, come on, just come check it out. Just come and see. Folks, somewhere, somewhere along the line, I think we've gotten this idea that we have to have all the answers about Jesus, about the incarnation, how does that work? About the Trinity, how does that work? About creation, about sin, about evil, about salvation. You know, all those things we actually spent seven months of this year talking about in our sermons. We think we need to have all that down before we can invite someone to just come and see. But we don't. We don't. I mean, we covered all those things earlier this year because they are important, because we should. We should be able to understand and and to know the content of our Christian faith to the greatest extent where possible. But you don't have to have all that stuff down cold to invite someone to just come and see. Jesus never did that. Jesus never did that. He just asked people, what are you looking for? And then he invited them to come and see if they might find the answers they're looking for by witnessing his life, by witnessing the kinds of things he did, the way he prayed, the way he treated other people, his willingness to pour himself completely, to give himself completely into their lives, no matter what it cost him. And to witness the lives of people who are striving to learn from him, who are learning to live in community with him. You know, every single one of us, every one of us, at some point in our lives, we took someone up on the offer to just come and see. Someone who invited us to come see for ourselves what a life of faith in Jesus Christ really looks like whether that was through a worship service, through a Bible study, a mission project, or maybe, maybe even just in the everyday stuff of family and friendship and a community that really does care deeply for each other's needs. But let's be honest. Let's be honest. If we're going to invite people, if we're going to invite people to come and see Jesus, come see who Jesus is by participating in community with us. And it is vitally important, folks, vitally important that we actually reflect Jesus in the way we live our lives. You know, if you ask people who've been part of the Christian faith but then left it, why they left, I guarantee you the answer that they're going to give you is going to be something that is completely opposite, diametrically opposed to who Jesus is. 
they're going to have been treated poorly, cut down, left out, snapped at, argued with, devalued, or worse yet, completely ignored. That was their church experience. Folks, when we do what Jesus asks us to do, if when we invite people to just come and see, folks, we need to do our very best every minute of every day to make sure that who they see when they show up really is Jesus. And folks, this is just so important. It is so important because this invitation that Jesus makes to come and see it, it goes far deeper than it sounds at first on the surface. Yeah, I mean, it's true. Jesus does. He says, just come and see. Come and see what this community of faith is all about. Come and see what being a Christian is really like. But at the same time, he's issuing an invitation to everyone to hear this a little differently. An invitation to come and see. Come to me, Jesus says, and see. Maybe for the first time, see with eyes of faith. See things that you've been blinded to before. Come to me, Jesus says, and see. Really see who I really am. Not who you think I must be based on how people who claim my name act sometimes. Jesus says, come and see. Come and see that, that God really does speak to you through his word when you anticipate that. Come and see how the Bible really does reveal who God is, how much he loves you. Come and see what grace and forgiveness can really feel like. Come and see the world around you in a new way. Come and see the, the way John Newton, the author of Amazing Grace, wrote when he said, I once was blind, but now I see. Come and see, Jesus says, that I really am, I really am what you've been looking for all along. Whether you realized it or not, and even whether you want me to be that or not. You know, after, after meeting with Jesus in the midst of his skepticism, this guy Nathaniel, he was absolutely astounded to learn that Jesus was aware of him, that Jesus knew his whereabouts before Philip had ever even talked to Nathaniel about Jesus. The story actually says, says, when Jesus saw Nathaniel approaching, he said of him, here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. How do you know me? Nathaniel asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. And this simple awareness, the simple awareness that Jesus knew who he was, that Jesus had been there waiting for him, seeing him, loving him all along. Folks, that was enough to make Nathaniel cry out, Rabbi, you are the son of God. 
You are the king of Israel. But Jesus promises him, Nathaniel, Nathaniel, if you follow me, you will see greater things than that. You will see greater things than this basic truth that God sees you, that God knows you, that God cares for you way before you know anything about him. You know, but seeing those greater things it takes eyes of faith. It takes eyes that Jesus wants you to be able to see through. Folks, Jesus promises every one of us this. He promises whatever, whatever you might be looking for, if you follow me, you'll see, you'll find what you really need. And if you truly follow me, Jesus says, if you truly follow me, you'll always be prepared to do what I did and invite all those around you to just come and see. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.